0: Hello, everyone. My name is Frank Place. I'm the director of the CGIR Research Program on Policies, Institutions, and Markets. I want to welcome all of you who's joining us for the webinar today on innovations to help secure pastoral land tenure and governance. Our speaker today is Fiona Flinton. She's joining us today from the UK, but most of the time Fiona is based in Ethiopia, where she works as rangelands governance scientist at the International Livestock Research Institute, ILRI. She is also technical coordinator for International Land Coalition's Rangelands Initiative, a position jointly funded by ILRI and the International Land Coalition. Fiona works with uh, the International Land Coalition members and partners across Africa. In Tanzania, she is involved in the Sustainable Rangeland Management Project led by the Ministry of Livestock and Fisheries Development. The project seeks to improve the application of village land use planning in rangelands. In Ethiopia, In collaboration with partners from the Ministry of Agriculture and the State Ministry of Livestock and Resources Development, Fiona works on a manual for participatory land use planning and provides technical support to the rangeland management platform. Other areas of her expertise include rangeland ecology, invasive species, gender, conflict transformation, and and participatory research approaches. Before handing over to Fiona, let me remind everyone, and and those of you who are joining for the first time, how this works (laughs) at the webinar. uh, Fiona will begin very shortly with a presentation that you will see on your screens, and it'll last for about uh, 30 minutes. During the presentation, we encourage uh, all of you to send in questions via the chat and question window on the right side of your screens. We collate the questions and try to group uh, any that are similar in content, and then we pose them to uh, Fiona. Once we are in the Q&A session, uh, uh, you can feel free to add more questions, and and we will keep accumulating them and posing them to Fiona until we run out out of our time, which is about after one hour total. So we handle the questions in this way to make the best use of our time. We are also recording the webinar, and we'll make it available on our website shortly after the live event. Um, And so with uh, with that, uh, let me hand it over to Fiona. Welcome.
1: Thank you, Frank. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Great. Okay, thank you, and welcome, everybody. I hope we're going to have an interesting hour, uh, presentation and discussion. Um, So, yes, I'm going to talk to you about some of the work that ILRI and partners have been involved in, in relation to pastoral land tenure and governance. So, first of all, I'd just like to remind ourselves why is pastoral land tenure, security, and governance a priority. Um, First and foremost, let's just start with the land, start with the the physical situation. Um, Rangelands, which is mainly pastoralism, where pastoralism is carried out or has a comparative advantage, is uh, is made up of different types of um, ecological uh, components. There's variety, variability, and the scale of the land use. Um, because of this uh, variability, um, tends to be large. Um, Rangelands are driven by plant-available moisture, plant-available nutrients, animal, and of course, human impacts. And this complexity and this, this variability makes land tenure and governance very challenging to design and to secure it. Often we, found, we find because it is a territorial approach to land use, um, collective tenure is the best uh, type of tenure to uh, govern and manage these lands. Um, however, collective tenure in itself is very complicated, and it's often given less attention by governments, resulting in many partialists and other rangeland users facing land tenure insecurity and poor governance uh, particularly in the face of interference where governments challenge pastoralists or challenge other ancient users um, and, and try to, in, in many ways, force them to um, uh, become more settled um, and more individual or, or private tenure focused. For ILRI and particularly within the Integrated Science and Systems Research Pastoralism arrangements is a a key area of focus. Um, The land and the resource base are a key part of this. Uh, People, livestock, land, the three interacting together, produce successful livestock production systems. Uh, Without one or the other uh, we wouldn't be having a pastoral system or other sustainable livestock systems. So depending on the uh, definition used for pastoralists: uh, They number around 500 million globally, so we're talking about a significant uh, proportion of of the world's population. Pastoralists, simply defined, are uh, people who generate more than 50% of their income from extensive livestock production. Um, and as part of this, normally mobility is a key management tool—that ability to move across that rangelands across the territory to use that uh, variability of resources that is found there. Most pastures occupy rangelands, as I mentioned. Uh, Rangelands are a semi-natural, stroke-natural ecosystem that's maintained by grazing or browsing by herbivores and covers nearly half of the world's land surface, um, albeit, albeit with great variety. So we've got grasslands, we've got shrublands, we've got tundra alpine, Woodland savanna, um, and you can see from the map there uh, the, the major distribution of those of the rangelands. So digging deeper into some of the pastoral land tenure and governance challenges uh, that I mentioned previously. So I talked about the territorial use of the landscape. Um, the problem is when people are using one part of the landscape. It it means that the other part of the landscape um, might be viewed as empty or not being used. So there's, uh, it's difficult to prove uh, the use of that total territory. There are multiple users. So there are those that will use a particular piece of land on a regular basis. But then there will, others. will there be others who come to use that land for a certain part of the year. Or there are even a third group who may just come in to use one particular type of resource like a tree to hang a beehive or or to have access to a well. This makes multiple layers of tenure and governance Um, and you can see from that diagram there we have the large rangeland. within that we might have some like more political or institutional structures governing land tenure like a clan holding. Within that there may be dry season grazing and wet season grazing. Uh, Within that, there may be the village, the settlement, which will have its own tenure types. There may be a forest that uh, is jointly used by two clans. And then there may be individual agricultural plots that are individually held, or or wells that have their own governance system, and trees that might be used for hanging beehives or collection of gums and resins. And then there would be water. You might have your wells, but then there would be uh, perhaps a permanent river there. Uh, there may be shallow, shallow ponds at some time of the year and permanent sources uh, to be used throughout the year. So all of this makes that whole system of land tenure and governance very challenging and, uh, and really comes across or, or requires like a, a view that takes um, a, a nested system of governance uh, looking at these different layers and looking um, at the different different governance structures and how they can be best supported, and then of course you have mobility and the the rights and the 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 governance structures to allow that mobility and movement across that territory um, to to occur, and then finally we have flexibility. So this this picture here might reflect. Um, how land is used and governed in a normal year but if there's a drought or some other uh, disaster such as uh, or, or so some other um, perhaps not necessarily a disaster but some other shock to the system such as uh, a bad snow a zoo in Mongolia um, that governance structure would be need to be flexible enough to allow uh, the people and the livestock within that to move to another place or for others to come from another place. So very complicated um, pastoral governance systems have changed um, and we've seen a lot of those changes in recent years through influences including government interference, uh, more education and services in these areas, exposure to new uh, ways of working or governance um, some places now migration of the youth who don't necessarily see a future in in some of the uh, livestock production systems. We've had the influence of development projects with their own view of how pastoral areas should be managed and governed. Um, There's been a lot of, in some places, uh, a drive towards individualization, partly because of interference, partly because of development projects, but also because of changes within pastoral uh, systems themselves and within pastoral society themselves. Women's rights campaigns, uh, pushing women's rights, um, not necessarily aligned to collective tenure. All of these have had an influence um, and have, in in different degrees, uh, uh, changed how uh, pastoral land tenure and governance is occurring today. In some some of these um, impacts have been positive, but others perhaps have a negative side to them and that's the weakening and breakdown of customary authority and institutions um, and this is this is something that needs to be considered um, within the whole picture you know change can be positive but what impact is that change having on the very structure of pastoral society and systems. Land use itself has changed in pastoral areas uh, influences include a lack of land use planning, uh, bias to crop agriculture by government donors, drought, development projects encouraging diversification, restrictions by government on movement or land use, breakdown of pastoral governance and in many places this has led to pastoralists trying to grow more crops even though the, the climatic uh, context might not be um, the, uh, amenable to this. So recent research carried out by ILRI in the pastoral and agro-pastoral uh, agri- areas of Ethiopia, um, we've combined several data sets here uh, in which we ask the question, do you have cropping land? Um, as you can see from this graph that in many areas, the majority of pastoralists do now have cropping land as well as grazing land. Um, particularly in areas like SNMPR, and there's Southern Nations, Region of Ethiopia that is more agro-pastoral in nature, um, but also in some of the more traditional um, areas where you would see, well, where where you would expect to see pastoralists dominate, uh, we are seeing increasingly uh, crop agriculture occurring. Um, just to explain here the difference between pastoral and agro-pastoral, for me. Uh, there's not a clear line between the two Um, but within our survey we did ask the respondents themselves uh, do you consider yourself to be pastoral or do you consider yourself to be agri-pastoral but um, as I said there's no clear line between the two some of these well the pastoralists here are growing some crops so some would argue that they are in fact agri-pastoralists so just to briefly explain that, but I wouldn't pay too much attention to the actual differences between the two. So another question we asked in our survey, um, do you have individual grazing lands? So these are not the collective communal tenure uh, grazing lands. These are individual grazing lands that probably have been fenced. So out of uh, 5,281 households, uh, 16% said yes. So not not a, a very high number, but certainly a, a, a trend that seems to be increasing. Um, a third question we asked, who manages the And for me, this is probably one of the most um, surprising of, uh, of results. Uh, basically, out of 3,800 households combining the data sets, 62% said that there was no managed uh, said that there was no management or the arrangements were not managed. Um, so um, this implies that for sure management systems have broken down and there is a lack of something replacing them there. Um, then finally, um, I mean, I think what uh, many of us have seen um, in the news or in the areas where we're working, there has been an, an increase in land use conflicts. Um, most recently, we've we've seen the the issue in Mali uh, where pastoralists, there was a massacre of pastoralists there. Um, but in East Africa, we see regular conflicts arising in Kenya uh, between uh, ranches and pastoralists. Um, in Ethiopia, conflicts uh, between pastoralists is a relatively new uh, phenomena, particularly at a scale that we we have been seeing. So, um, over the last year or so, we've had the the conflict between the Somali and Oromo uh, groups, um, who are both pastoralist groups, um, fighting. I mean, this is this is not necessarily a, a natural resource. Um, conflict. It's, it has deep entrenched and complex issues such as politics and administrative boundaries and identity um, all within it. Um, often these conflicts get, get uh, phrased as a land, a land use or a natural resource conflict but actually the roots problems are probably much more complicated than that. Um, The map on the left, which I see hasn't come out particularly clearly. uh, This is a a landscape mapping of issues that we've been doing in Tanzania. Uh, This shows one particular district, Chilindsey district, and the red shows uh, different land use conflicts that, um, that have been, that have happened recently or are ongoing. So, just to give you a brief um, uh, like resume of Ilri's work on pastoral land tenure and governance, before I focus on on three examples of it. Um, one of the things we're we're looking at, and with the with the PIM program, is um, linkages between land tenure investment in, um, and investment in sustainable land management. Trying to look at um, whether land tenure has an impact on how people invest in sustainable land management aspects. Uh, We have several case studies going on on pastoral women and land, and myself and some colleagues within the CG, we're beginning to really try and look at the issue of gender and collective tenure um, as part of this. Um, We do some policy influencing work, so for example, writing a paper that's contributed to the development of a land use policy in Ethiopia. Um, I've also given some technical input to the piloting of a communal land tenure system in Ethiopia that's um, been developed over the last two to three years. Um, Then um, a colleague of mine has been developing a a research protocol for comparing community based uh, rangeland management interventions and then also in Kenya we're also working with the government providing technical support on their spatial uh, planning at county level um, and rangeland management as part of this. Um, then another colleague is involved in a restoration project, um, action research to design tools to support scaling of land restoration. Uh, we've been involved in mapping of livestock routes. And then Something that I'm involved in, as Frank mentioned, is coordinating the global component of the ILC Ranges Initiative, uh, which works through three mechanisms, connecting, mobilizing, influencing, working through its members across the world. Uh, We have a core membership of international partners uh, and, and together we work to try and link the work at country level and at regional level to global processes. Uh, For example, uh, we're involved in the call for an international year of rangelands and pastoralists. uh, The development of global land indicators to ensure that pastoral land issues are taken into account in that engagement with the land restoration platforms such as the Global Landscapes Forum which has to date been very forest focused and we're working with them to ensure that rangelands are taken into account. Uh, One document that we're slowly working towards is a, a document on who owns the rangelands, so looking at land tenure and governance as part of that. Um, And then the the rangelands initiative, it's it's a network, a platform uh, for engaging in issues. We produce publications, uh, maps, data, and we're just literally in the next couple of days launching a website. So you'll all be able to visit the new website and see exactly what we are doing. but this working with the ILC and working with the ILC Ranges Initiative gives us as a research center you know, a very public uh, a very public um, audience um, to, uh, to help us uh, take our research results and, and our innovations that we support to a wider audience um, at the same time it's a very rich group of uh, members who have uh, fabulous experiences themselves that we can learn from and we can bring them in to influence the work that we're doing or that the partners we're doing so we find it a very useful uh, partnership to have um, and as part of this in fact one thing that we are increasingly looking at is it's not necessarily the, the horizontal integration of land issues across um, for example um, within countries across that country or across a region, but like working with some of our international partners to, to try and integrate partial land issues from the headquarters down to their, to their country-level interventions. So for example, with IFAD, um, we're looking at how partial land governance can be improved across the organization. And I will actually be working very closely with IFAD over the next two years um, as a placement um, looking at how pastoral land governance and tenure can be integrated into their country, program, uh, country programs, etc. So, just now to focus on three particular innovations um, that ILRI has been involved in, and Frank uh, briefly mentioned in the introduction. So, the first one here um, is something that um, I've been involved in, and my colleagues have been involved in for a few years, um, the idea of developing or assisting the government to develop a local level participatory land use planning process. So I, I mentioned briefly that in the last two years a communal land tenure system uh, is being developed or has, is being piloted for pastoral areas in Ethiopia but uh, four or five years ago there, there was no uh, governance, no formalized governance system for the pastoral areas. So we began looking at, uh, so what, what opportunity is there within the policy and legislation and, and within the direction and strategies that the government has or is taking, What room is there to develop some tools and processes that could uh, potentially help to secure a stronger rights to land. Um, so one of the one of these processes is the development of the Warada Participatory Land Use Planning, District Level Participatory Land Use Planning. Um, the government of Ethiopia has been looking to develop a program uh, introducing land use planning at all levels from national to regional uh, to zonal to to Warada and supporting local. Um, so this this process fitted in very nicely with how the, gov- the direction that the government was going. Um, so with the government, so this is actually a government process, Ilri, myself, we provided technical support to develop this process. Um, the process was piloted in one, one Warada, uh, Chifra Warada and Afal, with the assistance of GIZ um and most recently um a month or two ago, months or two ago we finalized a two volume manual on the process uh this will be launched in the next month or so and we're looking for opportunities now to upscale this process um so in tanzania as a similar process um in tanzania uh every village Um, should produce a village land use plan so under policy and legislation the facilities are there, there are government guidelines and the idea is that every village will have a land use plan and that land use plan basically maps out the priority areas um, grazing, forest, urban areas, crop agriculture produces a map, produces a document that describes those land uses and then that, that is used for the basis for issuing certificates of customary rights of occupancy uh, for uh, by the village council to individuals or potentially to groups. Um, the problem with individual land use plans is that they could be creating boundaries uh, between resources that are shared across Uh, different villages, so for example a grazing area. Um, So with funding from IFAD, um, ILC, and later ILRI came on board, uh, local partners, the Ministry of Livestock, the National Land Use Planning Commission, we've been developing a process of joint village land use planning, which is there in the policy and legislation but hadn't been implemented for lack of resources and and capacity. And the idea is that where a village or a set of villages Share grazing, um, such as these four villages in this map here, you not only do the the individual village land use plans, but then you have an extra layer of planning and agreement to produce a joint village land use agreement that protects that shared grazing area. Following on from that, once that grazing area has been uh, protected within the plan, the village council can then uh, issue a group as Uh, customary rights of occupancy to the land uses of that shared grazing area and in this case the Livestock Keepers Association has been established and in September last year the first uh, certificate of customary rights of occupancy was issued to that Livestock Keepers Association which you you see here. Um, And then thirdly the, the third innovation that we've been working on for several years is the development of a process of participatory rangeland management. Um, So as I said uh, uh, some years back in Ethiopia there was no idea of a communal land tenure system. So we said um, what is there, what else can we do to help um, try to get some agreement or some protection for uh, pastoral rights to their rangelands. Um, in Ethiopia, participatory forest management at that time was very accepted. It was being mainstreamed and upscaled through the government process. So we said, well, if it works in forests, why couldn't the process work in maintenance? So we took the process of the participatory forest management, uh, very much adapted it, shifted it to uh, uh, something more appropriate for rangelands and produced an introductory guidelines in 2010. The process is, um, the the steps are are given here. Uh, The process was taken up. Um, It was piloted uh, by several um, NGOs. um, And then a USAID funded project called Prime uh, with the NRM component led by care Um, took the process and upscaled it um, across the pastoral areas of Ethiopia, um, covering approximately 5.6 million hectares um, over five years. Um, ILRI, uh, we've just done a review of this application. Um, And so the different organizations piloting it including or upscaling it took slightly different approaches um, to the implementation and we compared those two and it's not perfect, there are not gaps, uh, there are some gaps um, but for sure there are very clear um, social governance uh, positive impacts um, and also surprisingly some physical positive impacts because the time to actually measure the physical change like over three or four years is quite short um, but we were able to go back to some of the baselines, the physical baselines carried out by the organizations implementing the process um, and repeat those and we have been able to see some some good physical positive impacts like um, increased uh, grass cover etc coming from that. So where we are now is that um, Uh, Another project is now, uh, with funding from uh, the European Union through the International Land Coalition, um, is taking the lessons from Ethiopia to Kenya and Tanzania to pilot the process there. Um, So for me, what really worked for us was that we were able to have those, those three different Projects uh, or those three different processes developing at the same time and we were able to To take to learn from one and take it to another country um, and vice versa Um, So for example something like rangeland resource mapping something that's very popular in Ethiopia it wasn't something that was being used uh, very strongly within the land use planning process and we brought the the tools and and the process to Tanzania um, and tested it out there within our joint village land use planning process and everyone agreed that it was a very useful tool it should be um, more central to the uh, the preparation of the village land use plans and it's now very much being integrated into the approach Um, we also um, as i said we tried with all these innovations we tried to look what could be supported under the current policy and legislation we didn't have to change policy and legislation there was there were spaces there uh, for us to work um, but just to find new ways of applying it or to bring in some extra capacities or new ways of thinking and to try these things out Um, it was very important for us to work with the national government and the local government um, and we found the entry point of providing technical support to be a very very good way of opening doors. Um, As I mentioned, the International Land Coalition and their structure, uh, their national engagement strategies at country level, uh, the linkages to the global level, we found very, very useful to work with. It's allowed us to um, open up um, our working partnerships to uh, a much more multi-stakeholder group um, that we're working with. And within all of this, uh, we do have a, a strong action research approach in that um, the idea of testing and piloting things, uh, doing a review and then reflecting on that and then feeding in the, the results or the recommendations um, into improvements of that approach. Um, one thing, other thing that we have found useful, and again, this has been a benefit being part of the ILC Range initiative, is using those projects and those experiences as hubs for sharing experiences. So for example, the Sustainable Rangeland Management Project in Tanzania that supports the joint village land use planning, Uh, we've helped facilitate many visits to the project um, to learn from Um, from the experiences of the communities of the Yolangapa community um, our first pilots and their joint village land use planning so we've had visitors from all around the world uh, taken on learning routes or study tours to to the villages uh, to the villages who are always so happy to share their experiences uh, with others Um, and and research though some of these projects um, have been more development focused, so for example, the Sustainable Rangeland Management Project, we found an extremely uh, useful platform to embed research that others are involved in or, for example, the work of, of PIM and the Livestock CRP and to use um, the projects as case studies or a place to develop case studies. Um, I think. Also uh, something that we felt strongly is to have this clear vision at the back of our minds of how to how can research and how can we as research partners help to make pensions more secure um, and I, I do sincerely believe that joint village land use planning has clearly incle- increased tenure security. those communities there now do have their their group certificate of customary rights of occupancy it's not it's not uh, perfect. Um, those that right to the land is still being challenged, and there's much work to do. Um, but clearly, here um, developing that innovation, um, supporting it by research has helped to increase the tenure security. Um, Participatory ranger management um, is probably not uh, supported. So clearly shown. Evidence of increasing communal tenure security, but there is some evidence. And with the word land use planning, I would say not yet. Um, We're getting there. So um, just to draw on some lessons learned um, that just practical things that I feel that we could have done better at within our work. Um, One, firstly it's really really important to do good baselines to measure the change and provide evidence of impact sometimes we're so so much in a hurry to get in there to to support the innovation to support the pilots to support the research uh, we forget or we don't pay enough emphasis to really taking that time to do a baseline first Um, because when people ask you know where's the evidence of of you securing improving the security of tenure for these communities um, if we don't have the baseline and we're not able to to show the give the evidence for impact then we're not going to be able to respond appropriately um, for sure working with government um, is challenging um, however we have managed and particularly in Tanzania I think we've been We have been successful at that. that. Um, As I said, technical support is a very good entry point. Um, So it allows you to to work with governments more on a level playing field. Um, I would say don't be afraid to work on tricky, sensitive issues, Um, certainly within the CG system, sometimes where we stand back from issues such as land tenure security or conflict. it's not necessarily to directly engage on these issues and particularly if they're politi- politically sensitive but there are backdoors there are ways of of working on these issues without directly engaging so for example working with the government of ethiopia on developing land use planning is is a was a much more appropriate entry point for us than to start challenging the lack of tenure insecurity on, of, of pastoral communities, for example. Um, as I mentioned, we found it a great advantage to work on similar processes in different countries, um, giving good opportunities for learning and sharing between those. Um, and having that big vision, thinking strategically, building networks um, all around this idea of how can we make regions more secure has helped us channel our efforts into realizing that big vision. And as I mentioned, being part of the International Land Coalition has been very beneficial in this regard. So just finally, our future plans to finish off. Um, So we do intend to continue working with the governments in these countries um, to upscale these approaches, um, particularly in Ethiopia with the the Warriada land use planning um, and in Tanzania the joint village land use planning. Um, we are hoping that the the government of Tanzania will be allocating their own funds for this upscaling now um, but uh, we, we're still waiting to see that that's actually in next year's budget. Um, we we're working on so within the, the piloting of the participatory range and management in Tanzania and Kenya, IlRI is providing technical support to that, um, including uh, a baseline and and carrying out a, a more uh, structured analysis of the impacts. Um and what we have realized is that um In Mongolia, they're actually implementing a very similar approach of participatory rangeland management and we're looking at how um, the application there compares to the application in in East Africa and what can be learned from that. Um, Secondly, we will continue to consolidate the pastoral women and land issues. As as I mentioned, um, a few people in the CG system and partner organizations are working on a paper on collective tenure and women's rights, trying to um, also use that as an opportunity to raise discussion on that because we feel it is something that does deserve attention. And then thirdly, um, uh, we will continue to work with the ILC Rangelins Initiative um, at global and regional levels and as I mentioned we have a new website being launched in the next couple of days so please do go and visit. Um, finally and um, it's something that I I do get pushed on is to write more journal articles doing all this this work um, all this more practical development action research type work is all well and good but within the CG system um, I know and I do feel pressured to write more journal articles and it's it's really important to be able to take that time out um, and reflect on um, the more practical work that we're doing um think about how um it fits within different theories of change um and to to share to um a, a different type of audience uh, but a very important audience um to share our experiences in that way um so uh that's it. Um, thank you very much, um, and I hope that was interesting for you. And I look forward to getting some questions.
0: Yeah, thank you very much, uh, Fiona. And I can tell you, it did trigger a lot of interest, and we have a number of questions. <laughs> so let me try to see if I can get to most of them. <laughs> um, just one. I think one quick question, just to start off, was is uh, so you've given you've described uh, some of your work in three uh, East African countries, and I guess so. I, a couple of questions came in about. Has has that work in those countries triggered any interest from other countries in the region to test and apply methods there? And then also the uh, related question was whether ILRI is doing any similar type of research in other regions, uh, West Africa, South Southern Africa, and we got one from a question about India as well. So maybe you can a- uh, answer those two first.
1: Um, <clears throat> uh, yes. Uh, yes and no. Um I mean ILRI as an organization um in in Africa um certainly is more focused in East Africa and that's that is uh where we have um had our strongest attention. Um but for sure for sure there is opportunity. Um some of my colleagues certainly work on natural resource management governance issues in West Africa Um, however I I do think there are some differences in context um, that that there are some differences that there are are of course some commonalities but um, I do think sometimes there's a bit of an assumption that um, that the context between West Africa and East Africa are more similar than they are um, having said that uh, for sure, there are bits and pieces of the work that we 've been doing that has um, been taken to other countries um, so for example, there was one colleague in fact working in mozambique um, where he was looking to develop a participatory range and management approach there. So we had um, an opportunity to um, give some feedback on, on that. Um, it's certainly something that Ilri will continue to explore. Um, so yes, yes and no. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, India, uh, the, the pastoral women land issues, um, we are working with partners in India on that. We haven't looked at um, land use planning. I'm sure there is lots of opportunities there. Um, A local partner of of the PIM Land Governance Flagship um, Foundation for Environmental Security, Ecological Security. Um, You know, they're one of our partners there, and they are involved in some of these issues. Um, So sometimes it's not necessarily us, but there are partners and. Other organisations working on these issues in these other countries.
0: Great, thank you. Okay, so now there's a couple of questions about the um, these innovations themselves. So uh, one question was about uh, the accountability mechanisms that are uh, embedded in in some of these uh, land use plans and and participatory research um, arrangement and management uh, plans. Um, I, I, so there, we are there. Are there rules uh, like on herd sizes and other com- compliance issues, and how are those um, actually enforced? Um, and then also vis a vis, there's uh, as many, uh, uh, one of the questions that came in. Observe that there's a lot of initiatives in in these countries for um, developing la- uh, land land uh, with other projects and so forth. And so, how strong? Are the rights of the uh, of the this collective tenure against uh, actually government interests themselves perhaps to develop land and fire fine land for other developers as well?
1: Okay. Um, okay. Uh, on the accountability mechanisms, um, I mean, if we talk more about perhaps the Tanzania. Uh, joint village land use planning and the participatory arrangement and management. Um, I mean, within both of those, well, let, let's take the Tanzania one first, which is kind of more simple in that um, the the local governments, um, the, lo- the lowest level of local government in Tanzania is the community. Um, So the community themselves, they have their general assembly, they have their village council, uh, they have uh, committees um, that deal with different aspects of of governance at the local level. Um, So when we work on the joint village land use planning, we're we're actually working with those local governments, those local community structures, community government structures. Um, So there are very clear uh, ways that those um, local structures work, those local institutions work, um, and they are the ones who have the responsibility for um, uh, producing the land use plan with the district government technical people and for implementing it. Um, So they, they are the ones who... Who are creating the plan? Who are implementing the plan and enforcing it? Um, enforcing enforcing it is, of course, a challenge because there are different interests within a village. Um, but as part of the plan, there should be the development of bylaws, um, etc., that are kind of the, the what are used to as much as possible to enforce. Um, there are constant challenges to that enforcement. Um, but I think I think in Tanzania, the the accountability structures are there in in Ethiopia in the participatory range management it's, it is much more challenging because you don't have that local government structure um, that formal structure that's recognized by national government. So the structures that have been set up are more like multi-stakeholder platforms that to a a lesser or bigger degree have customary institutions at their core. Um, Customary institutions are not a legalised, recognised body in Ethiopia, so they don't have that legal backing. In the application of participatory rangeland management, in response to this, some NGOs have uh, set up cooperatives rather than relied on the customary institutions because the cooperatives are legally recognised. Um, so I would say the accountability in Ethiopia and the participatory ran- ranger management is more challenging. Um, to the question of how strong is collective tenure to um, to individual tenure, in in Tanzania it should be as strong. Um, it's it's more complicated, of course, and more complicated to establish. But basically, a, a collective certificate of customary rights of occupancy has the same strength as an individual one Um, so simply it's it should have the same strength um, even though it's more complicated and enforcing it as well we're talking about a much larger larger area um, enforcing that group title is more challenging but basically the in Tanzania it's Legally, it's the same.
0: Good, great, thanks. Um, so let me move on. I'll ask. A, let me ask a couple of questions uh, related to the, the kind of the, the process and acceptance and uh, and use of, of these tools. So, uh, one question was um, that came in was what what in terms of the the your participation of the researchers in the Ethiopian land use policy. What factors led to the kind of the acceptance uh, of the research team to be involved and and, and allowed you to have some influence over the, the development of that policy? So that's one question. You can maybe note down. Um, mm-hmm. A second one was uh, whether the local innovations that uh, that uh, that have taken place under the participatory rangeland management have been adopted at the national policy level um, in the cases that, that you mentioned. And then a third one is, um, Uh, came in to to ask about when you were implementing these land use plans at the local level. I I guess in in many countries, we also have management of certain resources done by different ministries. So you might have a forestry department or ministry or a water department or ministry. and, And the question came in was whether you met any resistance from those ministries as you were working on these participatory plans.
1: Okay yeah cool interesting question something think. Um, okay so the the land use the development of the land use policy or having influence or imp- input to so that was quite interesting. So me as a, a national researcher um i I was asked to contribute to a paper uh, which I did with an Ethiopian um, who was working for uh, the USAID land project who were basically leading this project. Uh, Leading leading this process in supporting the government on providing the argument for a land-use policy So I I was invited and allowed to contribute to a joint paper But when it actually came to the discussions um, I wasn't invited so the discussions about the land-use policy was done only by by Ethiopians uh, technical experts governments, etc. So simply put I was allowed to influence and give input so far but but then um, But then the the door was closed as such and the the discussions at a national level were done um, done by Ethiopians only Um, On participatory rangeland management um, uh, Has it been um, uh, integrated at the national level? No, it hasn't and for me, this is one of the the big gaps of the organizations that have been piloting and have been upscaling is that they didn't spend enough time um, or, or effort or resources in trying to establish uh, an enabling policy and legislation legislative environment for participatory ranger management. So though um, for example, Prime very successfully upscaled it. Um, they didn't have a policy component that also at the same time influenced policy and legislation to be facilitating for it. So at the moment there is no policy or legislation that supports participatory range and management. So it is it is a challenge. Um, on, on the um, development of the land use plans, um, yes, so we were working with the Ministry of Livestock um, we were particularly interested in shared grazing areas and we used the, the uh, clusters of villages that um, where the Joint Village Land Use Planning was carried out were selected because they did have significant areas of grazing uh, lands that crossed village boundaries. Um, so that was our entry point point. Um, and we did work closely with the Ministry of Livestock. Um, However, for sure, in the development of those village land use plans, other uh, land uses were identified. um, Because we're obliged to work with the district participatory land use management team, the technical team at the district level in Tanzania, Uh, they will be the ones to raise issues from other sectors. Um, We didn't necessarily involve directly other sectors other ministries Um, but through the plan um, it was a uh, multi-sectoral there was room for multi but for sorry there was room for the input of others at the district level to contribute to that Um, and there were other resources that were shared for example forests um, that were um, that were identified in the plan um, and are there for other sectoral ministries to come in and to work on them. We were specifically interested in the grazing lands.
0: Oh, good. Great. Thank you. Um, I'm going to – I think we have enough time for a couple more rounds, so I'm going to follow-up on some of these policy questions you mentioned about the fact that uh, you, you know, there wasn't that in one example there wasn't a, a policy dimension in another case they haven't been taken on board so a couple of questions actually came in around mm-hmm. these broader issues about perhaps it's maybe around political economy or mindsets so um, a question that came in actually quite early was uh, why do uh, policymakers often insist that pastoralists you know settle in specific areas or 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 work in a, in a ranching type scenario rather than a mo- more mobile system, um, and the, the and another one noted that there is as you mentioned too sometimes a bias towards cropping systems um, as as a as a as a livelihood uh, uh, that the governments are pursuing. Um, is this uh, you know in the countries that you work in and the areas you work in is this at all at all justified by the economic value of Cropping systems in in these areas and the potential uh, in in the more dry or semi-arid areas, Um, and then kind of relatedly, a question came in about you know noticing that you had the results that showed that that many quite a few agro-pastoralists in particular were cropping, but also some who thought who who um, self-identified as pastoralists. Did your research actually? Uh, examine the extent to which the that the cropping component actually did uh, contribute to livelihoods in those areas. Uh, is it a ma- major at all, growing or minor? Uh, yeah. So I'll stop there with those questions. Thank you. Okay.
1: Okay. Um, so on on the first one about why policymakers insist on putting pastries to settle down. Um, f- so yeah, let, let's take it as as the question is um, yeah. put. Um, so for sure, there is still um, I, I mean, there's all sorts of reasons. So um, uh, an an opinion that um, pastoralists are people who wander around a landscape without any clear uh, planning process or or agreements. Um, et cetera et etc i mean it's, it' can all and, and also influenced by the ideas that um, there are not rules and regulations in place uh, hardin 's tragedy of the commons etc um, so there are still there are still policymakers who who think in this way um, and that 's part of it um but um but secondly i mean there's still there still is an assumption i mean if this applies to the first the second question as well there is still an assumption that the best use of this land is is cropping is for crops um and i it's not just policymakers who have this idea but but the idea that there can only be progress and people can only be fed and the most appropriate use of land is cropping without necessarily um, taking a step back and looking at um, like a cost benefit analysis of um, what is the most appropriate use of that land, um, what would be the costs if that land was changed from rangelands to crops. um, Not necessarily only on the the, uh, nearby area but also on the larger landscape itself. Having said these two is, uh two of the examples of why there is a bias um, I would say that I do think thinking has changed um, I mean particularly in Ethiopia over, you know, 15 years ago there wouldn't, there was not the space to engage and challenge um, the, the drive to settle pastoralists today there is, um, there is that space and the government um do take on board the arguments that it's not necessarily the right intervention in all places and the new pastoralism policy that has been developed by the government of Ethiopia does show this so where 10 years ago um, if that policy had been produced, um, voluntary settlement, villagization would be at the very centre of that policy or, or at the lead of that policy today. It is mentioned, but it's mentioned as one of several alternatives. So I, I'm i opti- optimistic that things have changed and that there is a more nuanced thinking about um, how best dry lands or mansions can be used and what is the most appropriate livelihood system for them. Um, on, on the, the final question about did we look at how cropping uh, contributed to livelihoods um, it's very much a subsistence cropping um, uh, being undertaken so it's an attempt to um, to have a more variable um, uh, food uh, system at the local level um, and particularly in the face of droughts so there is a perception that um, by having crops uh, they, they would uh, assist communities getting uh, through drought more easily it's not I, I would challenge that opinion um, but that is is the perspective at the local level um, so most of this cropping is only for subsistence it's not it's not being sold there aren't there's no big markets um, well there's no need for a a market at the local level, it's very much a subsistence. Um, diversification of livelihoods within pastoral areas is so challenging and I've seen so many projects trying to to support diversification but very, very, very few successful ones um, and particularly ones, um for me, the only successful ones that I've seen are those that are directly connected to livestock, for example, livestock fattening, things like this.
0: Great, thanks. Um, I, I, I think we might beg the audience to go for a couple minutes over because there's still a couple of questions I'd like to get to, Um I won't still get to all of them. You have, we'll, we'll send them to you also, uh, Fiona, to follow up with uh, individually. But So um, there was one question about – one of the results you mentioned and you highlighted was the the fact that many of your respondents in, in, in Ethiopia had said that there was no management uh, taking place of in in the in the rangelands, um, and so the question came in: Do you think that actually fits the reality of the situation, or was it a difficult question to pose and get a good response on?
1: Um, I don't think it was a difficult question. Um, I mean, if if you look at that graph. Um, there were options there, um, so yeah. If, even though I I was surprised that the percentage was so high and it was so clear, I I do think that, that that was the answer. I mean, if 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 people are not managing, it doesn't necessarily mean to say that the land is not being looked after. But right. I, it's it's a structure. That is missing. That's missing now. It's the decis- kind of a, a decisions about who's who's raising where or at certain times of the year and and this kind of thing. I think I think for sure there has been some loss in that, and particularly in the areas where the customary institutions were very strong before, such as in, in Burana, um in the south of the country. So. Yeah, I I I think it does reflect the reality.
0: Good, okay. Maybe I'll just conclude with one question, which you 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 talked about in your last slides. Uh, but just uh, to to get maybe a a, a final word from you too. So what what do you see in terms of? Uh, getting these tools and uh, processes in the and the national um, let's say at the national policy uh, level as well um these thing, these things more uh, widely used and applied and, and enforced uh, uh in your in the countries that you're working in um what would be the, the key steps and a particular question that had come in is whether there is any role for other uh Organizations on the continent at, say, a higher level than the than the states. So we have the regional economic commissions and uh, and uh, and the and the African Union as well. Is this an issue that uh, they they have an interest in and could help support as well?
1: Um, yes, yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I mean, for example, um, uh, EGAD, um through their uh, drought Resilience um, Initiative. Um, some of the projects within that, um, we we pushed for a participatory range management to be included. So for example, there's a World Bank project that works across Ethiopia, Kenya and Tanzania through, through the EGAD uh, programs and the, the country programming papers that each country in EGAD produced. Um, so within that the idea was that you know this would be an opportunity for a high level body to take some responsibility for something like participatory financial management um in practice it hasn't worked so well because um the the world bank project itself hasn't uh, uh, to be frank it's kind of uh, compromised the the systems part of the projects and um and uh, focus more on things like infrastructure and getting um, water points and enclosures and things like this without actually working through these these system type process um, type uh, activities um, so i i think there is some there's certainly a level of convincing to do that investing in processes and um, systems approaches even though it may take time to get a process moving, um, it does provide a stronger foundation than jumping in there and um, getting on with activities or building infrastructure. Um, So yes, I I do, I mean the African Union has a a framework for pastoralism that is very clear and it's um, raising issues about the importance of pastoralism and the need for um, better natural resource management etc um, it's it's there in paper and the African Union for sure um, could be taking more responsibility for um, sharing these types of approaches um, it's it's something that we have talked about with ILRI, is, at ILRI is, is how to better engage with the African Union from a technical point of view and it's, it's potentially something that we will be working with them on this um, so so yes Yes, there is there is opportunity, and um, for sure, they should be taking more responsibility for this.
0: Great. Well, um, thank you very much, Fiona. I, I Apologies to those few of you that I didn't get to your questions, but we really had a lot of them that came in, and it was difficult to get all of them. Um, maybe what I would invite is those that uh, want to follow up on some of the questions or or with Fiona that... You know, they can get in touch with her uh, directly uh, through the CGIR email address, uh, or you can contact me. Mine is uh, Frank Place. I'm f.place at cgiar.org, and Fiona will have the same uh, type of email address, so feel free to contact us. We'll also send all the questions to Fiona, so she has all of them. Uh, and. And, and she'll, and maybe she can reach out also and get in touch.
1: We will also yeah. send a follow up email to all registrants, and in response to yes. this email, you can send your additional questions. Yeah. We'll transfer them to Fiona.
0: Yeah, great. So thank you very much, uh, Fiona. It was a great presentation on a very difficult issue, uh, very important, uh, and um, one of the neglected areas, I, I think. Uh, Livestock tends to get neglected vis-a-vis crops that we all noticed, uh, also within our system of the CGIR. And so um, we thank you for the the great presentation and for everyone else who joined us. And yes, you can follow up and do look at the the PIM website for the the webinar and pass it on to colleagues who couldn't uh, attend today. So thank you very much.
1: Great. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, everyone.